0: Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open-and-shut episode with Drew Murray. Now, Drew has written a novel called Broken Genius, uh, which features uh, Will Parker, who is a Silicon Valley genius who, after a tragic event, ends up going to work for the FBI, and we had a really great conversation about uh, real-world cyber threats and uh, Comic-Cons in addition to his book, Uh, so uh, we'll dive into that in just a second. Uh, Before we get there, I want to remind you that uh, Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it from the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If you enjoy that, you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out.com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. All right. Well, I am sitting here in central Oregon where the weather has gone from, uh, hey, it's sort of almost still summer to click. You're not getting a fall and prepare for snow so uh but it is bright uh, and sunny out uh, despite the cold these last couple of days and i'm hoping that lasts for a little while Uh, anyway that's what it's like where i'm at Uh, hopefully you're getting some sunshine where you're at Uh, let's shine a little sunshine on drew murray well hey drew welcome to the show
1: yeah thanks for having me the new book is your
0: debut book broken genius but uh, before we get into that, I wanted to touch on who you are just a little bit. Probably nobody picked it up from, from the few words you've spoken so far, but practiced ear can pick up that Ontario accent anywhere. Um, <laughs> so That's you, right. You are Canadian. You live up in Ontario. Whereabouts do you live?
1: I live in London, Ontario. Oh, yeah. I know London.
0: So uh, go knights, I guess would be the appropriate thing to say here.
1: That's right. Uh, hey, now, now that's advanced London knowledge, right there. <laughs> <clears> throat> uh, throat> well, I
0: I love it when I get Canadian authors on because a I really enjoyed the time I spent in Canada and I I love Canadians and b it's an excuse to talk hockey and ninety percent of Canadians are down with that.
1: Absolutely. Even those of us that aren't like huge hockey fans, we still know more about hockey than the average American. So. Yeah.
0: But you are also, you're a, uh, a college professor.
1: I am. I am. I teach uh, at both the university and the college here in London. I teach creative writing at uh, Western University and I teach business management at Fanshawe College.
0: Cool. Uh, so you teach creative writing, um, but this is your debut novel. So how long have you been teaching creative writing?
1: Uh, I've taught it off and on for a couple of years. Um, this is my debut novel, but it is far from my first novel. Of course, most of us uh, <laughs> novelists have the drawers uh, a full. few <laughs> under our belt before we before we publish one. The the drawer is always full. Unfortunately, I went back to my drawer. My literary agent said, hey, what else is in that drawer? Uh, And I said, I've got a book about a virus. And she said, no virus books. (laughs) Not not anymore.
0: (laughs) Everybody probably thinks they're coming up with something original when that's concerned.
1: For sure. Uh,
0: So uh, let's talk about this debut novel, Broken Genius. It's kind of a different sort of premise. I haven't uh, read anything quite like it in terms of the setup. Um, Maybe you could just go ahead and lay that out for the listener.
1: Absolutely. It's about Will Parker, who is a former Silicon Valley genius tech CEO uh, whose life just blows apart in one night, in an instant. uh, And he feels tremendous guilt over a death that occurs that night. And so to make amends for that, uh, he leaves the Silicon Valley world, joins the FBI as an agent uh, working in the cyber division and is solving crimes for the FBI Uh, As a way of penance for uh, the mistake that he made on that terrible night.
0: And he isn't working alone on this uh, case that he eventually drives the uh, plot of the novel. He is uh, teamed up a couple of different jurisdictions, actually.
1: Definitely. So he works with uh, another FBI agent named Thomas Decker, who is a counterintelligence agent out of the New York field office, uh, which coincidentally is where I got a lot of my knowledge around the FBI. I had a chance to tour the New York field office, uh, spend an entire day uh, with their agents that was set up for a literary conference, and it was absolutely amazing, the experience. So I really wanted to pull from that experience when I wrote this book. So Thomas Decker represents the folks at the New York field office, um, and, and so he's there as a way of reigning in will as sort of this rogue agent. I mean, he's not a rogue agent, but he's, he's an unusual agent having come from Silicon Valley. He's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of the strong personality type that comes from entrepreneurs, uh, in general and entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, especially. Um, and then he also works with Dana Lopez, who's a very smart, competent, capable, Uh, homicide detective in the city where he gets called in to investigate a crime Uh, and she really functions her and Decker uh, they function as uh, the eyes and ears of the reader because Will is a very technical guy and he's talking about a lot of high-tech products and services and things as we go through the novel Uh, there's this legendary incredible technology that he his company was in the process of buying when everything blew up in his life, and it surfaces maybe uh, at the scene of this murder, which is why he gets called in. There's a radiation that matches this, this object. So explaining all that to the reader um, is is uh, something I did through the eyes and ears of, of Thomas Decker and Dana Lopez as a way of making it accessible for a reader. Um, and that was one of the biggest challenges of the book is you've got all this high technology, which I really wanted to include. That's you know sort of was my career before writing. Um, and I wanted to celebrate that, um, but I wanted it to be accessible to everyone.
0: And it makes sense to everybody has their uh, areas of expertise and their areas of, 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 knowledge. And if you're partnered with somebody uh, you know, you have to share that and you have to share it in a way that puts it in terms that they understand. So it's a good, it's a, it's a realistic portrayal, even if you did use it as a, you know, as a device. Um, so this this item that I don't know how much you want to keep from giving away here, so I'm, I'm treading carefully. The, but this item that uh, they're they're dealing with in the description for the book, it says this is available on the dark web, and I I don't know if everybody out there is aware of the different uh, layers, I guess I would say, of the internet. And since you're a tech guy, maybe you could uh, uh, go over those real quick. But you know, remembering that we're the we're the Decker, we're the, we're the Dana
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So the, the dark web is really just the non-public internet. When you type a search into Google, what you're the, getting back in the results are only things that want to be found, uh, want to be seen by the general public. When you create a website, you know you actually put uh, keywords in for your website so that uh, search engines like Google can find your website or surface it and say, hey, you know, if you do a search on Drew Murray, or Broken Genius, well, we'll show you this website, DrewMurrayBooks.com. Um, but if I didn't want that to be seen, then I would put my website on the dark web and I would block out any kind of search engine optimization. I would remove references, anything that would be found by Google as it's got its tentacles out there trawling through the internet, and cataloging everything. So it's really just a set of servers that you can put things on without publishing its location at all. So one might think, well, how do you find it? Well, you have to have uh, browsers that will go to that uh, part of the internet um, and keep you private while you're there, uh, because as you can imagine, it's a pretty lawless, pretty wild place. Um, And because it is invisible to the sort of general public eye, all kinds of criminal activity takes place there. Um, and you know, anything from pornography to hiring hitmen to selling arms to selling large quantities of drugs—all um, this kind of stuff happens there. The most public incident that the, that most people would have heard of was the Silk Road case, where they they blew apart a lot of these, you know, auctions um, and and marketplaces on the dark web that were selling and trading in these sorts of illicit activities. But that was just one, and of course there are more that have popped up that have, that have uh, filled that gap uh, when they shut down Silk Road. So what is the
0: difference then uh, between the term dark web and deep web?
1: Um, There, there isn't really, it's more of a, just a public perception term. Um, It just refers to, you know, what part of the internet that you're looking at. Um, You know, the deep web can also just encompass things that are, are not public facing, but not for any nefarious reason. Um, It could just be business to business servers and that sort of thing. Um, it's a deeper layer of the internet that's not something you just pull up in your in your default browser on your phone or on your laptop. But the dark web specifically, you know, that pulls up that connotation of the illicit, of the forbidden, of the you know, we're sneaking around now, we want to stay hidden. We want to stay private. Um, and a lot of hackers work in that space and share information back and forth with one another. Um, you can buy user IDs, people's identities on the dark web. Um, that hackers then use to uh, do all sorts of things from financial crimes to um, just gaining access to uh, your computer networks or using that information about you i mean if you've answered any of those questions like hey what was your you know childhood high school as a password recovery thing but you've shared that information um, before um, in in an identity that's been compromised and that answer and question has been compromised Um, then they can use it to take over other aspects of your identity other user ids you might have and of course you know the most exciting thing beyond the financial crime for a hacker is to get into somebody's corporate accounts Um, and that's something we talk about or i talk about in the book in broken genius that's what this technology that they're looking for would be capable of one of the things it would be capable of is getting into corporate environments or if you happen to work for the government getting into government servers um, and then once you're in there, that's a whole new field uh, for hackers. They can do data mining. They can steal information from that corporation. Um, like Sony in the past has had entire finished films stolen from their servers. Um, or it could be just that they lay uh, a trap for later on, a back door that they can use to get into those systems. Or it can be much more nefarious than that if you start looking at um, state-sponsored hacking. So this is where, you know, russians are paying people to manipulate the u.s election is the most famous recent example Um, but also you know the attacks the cyber attacks on the west have increased uh, from iran and from north korea um, and from russia uh, since the COVID 19 uh, crisis began because everybody's at home everybody's working from home they're logging into work from home Uh, and they're doing it um, a lot of the time with private computers so you know, the the computer you got at the Best Buy Christmas Boxing Day special, you're now using to log into your corporate uh, networks. And that Best Buy special computer, because you've been using it for personal purposes, it doesn't have all the corporate antivirus and, and um, security, VPN, whatnot on it. Um, it may be easier to compromise for one of these hackers that got your information off the dark web.
0: So all of this is... Uh, part and parcel to what Will is going to be dealing with in this book. And I suspect it's going to be a lot more than dealing with it at the keyboard. In fact, yes, <laughs> in fact, it even <laughs> says so. It says that the murder happens at a Comic-Con and in the Midwest. And so um, your website also says that you are uh, – into comic cons that you're an avid role-playing gamer and and that you uh, really like those events as well i've been to one of those i went to rose city comic con with a buddy of mine uh who is a cosplay uh designer like you i was a big sci-fi and fantasy reader growing up and i I love the genre and some of my favorite films and television shows fall into, uh, you know, Comic-Con territory for sure. Uh, so I was a lifelong geek first time attendee. And I was, did you cosplay yourself? I did not. I was a normie or whatever <laughs> they call them. Um, but it was, a, it was so interesting. I mean, how long have you been, uh, attending those?
1: Oh, for years. Uh, I'd say probably oh, eight to 10 years, somewhere around that. Did you go um, through
0: that at the beginning where it was like, wow, this is kind of cool, but it's also kind of weird. And then get acclimated to where you're now like, normal people are weird, we're not weird.
1: Oh, Uh, definitely. Because I started going to Comic-Cons, not to like the big commercial ones like San San Diego Comic-Con is the biggest, uh, or up here in Canada, Fan Expo in Toronto is the biggest one in this country. Um, I didn't start off by going to those. I started going to the ones that were run by fans. And that's a whole new level of passion in the Comic-Con world. It's true. It's true. And the fan run, run ones tend to be the more, uh, extreme, um, they're, they're, these people are just really, really passionate about what they're doing. And you, you get sort of more individual creativity. The cosplay is more rich. The, the panels that you go to are, are slightly different, but the big cons are, are still really, really exciting because of the, the sheer size and volume. You get the best, um, guests at those cons, you have the most cosplayers at those cons. You have the largest vendor room at those cons. And they're really just enormous, enormous events. Um, like the Fan Expo in Canada sells out the Toronto Convention Center. And that, that holds like something like 60,000 people. Um, and it sells out. And it's wall-to-wall people throughout the building. It's just such a well-attended thing. Yeah, the one in
0: Portland was, it was something like 50,000 people or something like that. It was, it was massive. Uh, so you cosplay as well when you go to these? I do not. Oh, I tried you it once and, uh, what did and you it go just as? wasn't
1: for me. What did you wasn't go as? It wasn't for me, but I have, uh, but I have friends who are avid cosplayers. Uh-huh. So I, I live vicariously you're through You're that. dodging the
0: question, Drew. <laughs> yeah. What did you go as?
1: <laughs> I I did a classic Star Trek officer oh, at yeah. the one con that I did what, uh, cosplay at.
0: What, what shirt color did you wear then?
1: It, it was a Kirk gold. Oh yeah. Awesome. Yes. Captain Kirk all the way
0: you can be a geek and go to those and and totally not uh, dress up. And I I had a great time, but uh, I can't imagine, uh, well, I can't imagine having been a police officer and been on some weird scenes at what a murder scene would be like at any event that's got 50,000 people milling around. But certainly you walk in and here's you know chewbacca and a borg and a knight <laughs> and somebody from you know uh, uh skyrim and then you know you know well, the hobbit like the queen know. of hearts from the uh, alice in wonderland i mean it just gets you know i mean these are the people you need to interview and and uh, lock into some statements so is it pretty chaotic in the book
1: it is. Um, the, I, I try to hit a number of different fandoms in the book, not just any one thing. And I, I try to capture many different elements of the con experience there. Um, but it, I was fascinated with the idea of a murder taking place and, this, and an ongoing thing, not just the one murder, because this technology that, that Will is, is there for is still on the loose. The, the auction for it is ongoing on the dark web. So the bidders for it are still there. Uh, And the bidders include some pretty, you know, pretty scary people like, you know, Russian mafia criminals who are working for the Kremlin, a Chinese hacker, a desperate corporate executive and all the resources that he can apply. Um, So, you know, all these people are there. And so I I love the idea of something secret going on in this big, very public place. And of course, cons are also, since you've been, you would know, um, there's such a positive vibe. Everybody's so happy to be there. Everybody's there to celebrate things that they love. Uh, and I, I thought well what if beneath all that joy and happiness there was darkness and danger and lurking imminent threat um, and I really wanted to play with those two things together in the book and it yeah yeah and it, it came together great in the and the big finale uh, towards the end of the book there the big action sequence that, that finishes it off uh, takes place at the very peak of the con activity. Um, and it was just so fun to write and, and, and imagine being there and, and do some of the things that I wish that I could have done, you know, as a, as a, just a regular person going to a con. I'm like, what if I just started, you know, knocking down those walls and running through that way. Um, and writers think of crazy things like that all the time, everywhere we go. And so I thought about it and I thought, yeah, well, what kind of situation would lead to that? Uh, and came up with this whole sort of subcontext going on underneath the con
0: well the book is broken genius by drew murray it is available now uh from ocean view books anywhere that you can buy books before i let you go drew a quick couple of questions for you uh favorite uh, fantasy novel
1: uh favorite fantasy novel you know what i have to go lord of the rings it's just it's a classic and i love it mm-hmm.
0: how about sci-fi
1: Sci-fi, um, lately, I've really enjoyed the Collapsing Empire series by John Scalzi. i
0: oh, to check that out. And uh, favorite Star Trek episode?
1: Oh my goodness! That is such a that is yeah. such a oh should have warned you oh, about that. That's before a tough one. I yeah, I know. <laughs> and well, and which series? Which, which original series?
0: There's only one series. Come on, Ah,
1: uh, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Um, yeah the 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 time arch where they go back in time. Oh, yeah. City on with, the Edge of with forever. McCoy and mm-hmm. City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, that's that would be my favorite. I think
0: DC Fontana wrote that. Um, oh amazing and she's uh, for people who don't know she's pretty pretty famous uh science fiction and fantasy author
1: it was the best of trek and a great sci-fi story standalone
0: yeah i totally agree uh, good choice good choice um well uh, thanks for coming on the show uh, drew
1: amazing thanks for having me frank
0: well, there you go, folks. Uh, Drew Murray, a cool guy. We had a great conversation. Um, it continued after the recording stopped. "Broken Genius sounds like a really cool book. And uh, like I said, I really in- enjoyed talking with Drew. Uh, genuinely nice guy. Uh, on our next episode, we're going to talk to Gary Lipman. Quick bit of Frank Zafiro news for you. I recently... I guess updated would be the right word. Uh, my two-story collection, In the Shadow of El Paso, it had the title story and then a second one called Jack's Town, uh, takes place in uh, La Sombra, Texas, which is a fictional town just outside of El Paso. Uh, I wrote a third La Sombra story called Long Burdens and uh, for a different anthology, uh, but I decided to include it. And so I've updated in the shadow of El Paso, both the ebook form and the print form. So if you have it on Kindle or Kobo or any other of those platforms, it should update automatically and you should get the new story for free. Uh, if you have a paper copy that doesn't update for free, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can get a new copy for like five or six bucks and 99 cents for the digital. Uh, but I wanted it to be a complete, that little, uh, the, the saga, if you will. Long Burdens will also be appearing in my fourth short story collection called Sugar Got Low, which will be out in mid-January, and there will be an audio version of that collection. And that story will be narrated by Craig Jessen. Uh, It already has been, in fact. He did a spectacular job. Who is the narrator that did the first two stories uh, years ago for In the Shadow of El Paso. And I'm working on updating the uh, audio version of "Of In In the Shadow of El Paso as well. So all of my Zafiro news this week uh, revolves around that story and that collection. All right. I want to say thanks to Drew Murray for coming on the show, for being a fun guest. To Down and out Books for sponsoring the show, and to you, the listener, for hanging out, for eavesdropping on these conversations that I have with guests. I most definitely do appreciate you uh, being on this journey with me. Gary Lipman next time. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.